0: Back chat. Back chat. Back chat.
1: Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back.
2: Yes, indeed. You are listening to Back Chat here on FBI Radio, your
3: freshest rap. Of news and current affairs, I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Millie Roberts, stepping in for Shami today. As always, we're going to give you the news you may not have heard in your airwaves this week. Up first,
2: you'll hear from Backchat reporter Chantel Al-Koury about youth mental health off the back of
3: You U OK? Day. And after that, we're talking to Wheelerman nunga writer and poet Claire Coleman, about copyright restrictions on the Aboriginal flag.
2: As always, we want to hear from you. Join in on the conversation and text us in on 0409 945 945 or or tweet us at BackChat FBI.
4: It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her trade.
2: BackChat, your alternative to talk back. With 2020 serving both a pandemic and a recession, it's never been more important to check in with those around you. Twenty percent of Australians experience a mental illness in any given year, and research shows these conditions are more prevalent amongst 18 to 24 year olds. So how are young people handling it all?
3: Backchat reporter Chantel Alkouri spoke to the Black Dog Institute, the Butterfly Foundation and the Indigo Project about the spike in mental health issues facing young Aussies recently. Heads up, this report contains discussions of mental health, suicide and eating disorders.
1: This week was World Suicide Prevention Day, where we asked, are you okay?" and advocated for the mental health issues affecting Aussies across the nation right now. As the psychological toll and economic fallout of the pandemic is felt, mental health support helplines across the country are reporting significant spikes in youth calls. Earlier this year, Kids Helpline reported a 40% increase in calls from young people, compared to the same time last year. A study by University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre predicted that Australia's suicide rate among young people aged 15 to 25 could increase by 750 to 1,500 deaths per year. So, what are some of the challenges that young people are facing right now? Dr. Sophie Lee is a clinical psychologist and a senior clinical research manager from Black Dog Institute. According to her, a recent survey conducted by the service revealed that 75% of 12 to 18 year olds have reported a decline in their mental health. She says that this further solidifies that the pandemic and COVID-related restrictions have a clear impact on the mental health of these young people.
5: They were reporting heightened psychological distress, increased loneliness, um, and reduced well-being. Um, it was also having quite a significant impact on their relationships, and this largely came down to um, to social isolation, so restricted contact with friends and with um, with uh, family members. Um, They also reported disruptions to school and education um, and and in some cases work. Uh, We also found that there were changes in um, young people's amount of physical activity. So there was a 40% decrease um, in physical activity during um, the pandemic. Um, Also, uh, young people are reporting greater levels of sleep disruption, um, increased use of technology and devices as well.
1: This week was also Body Image and Eating Disorders Awareness Week. The Butterfly Foundation is a national charity for people affected by eating disorders and body image issues. In a press release last week, the organisation revealed a 116% increase in demands for their online support service in the last year. Their national helpline saw a 25% increase in calls between January and June, sparking concern that COVID and associated stresses have a direct link to an increase in eating disorder behaviours and other body image-related issues. Amelia Trinick, a team leader and clinician at the Butterfly Foundation, says that lock-ins and closures of different services, as well as technology, have caused distress and new concerns for those suffering from disordered eating issues. There has
0: been quite a significant increase in people contacting um, the helpline for support, either for, for themselves or for somebody else. Um, and we know that the pandemic has, has made a really big contribution To that. Uh, Look, there's some really practical things that are happening. Things like, um, certainly in the early stages of of lockdown, things like stockpiling food um, or just general food shortages, um, you know mixed with that um, emotional side of things like lock-ins or closures of different um, different services, people not being able to access their professional supports, people not being able to access um, social supports, um, and it really has created almost a, a, a perfect storm uh, for, for people who maybe had already experienced eating disorders or disordered eating issues before, but also perhaps even triggering some things for people that um, they had not experienced previously. Um, so we know it has made a significant um, impact.
1: According to Dr. Sophie Lee, a survey by the Black Dog Institute also revealed that there was a 70% increase in young people's use of devices. As school, work and socialising went digital,
0: technology has
1: presented both a range of new concerns as well as benefits.
0: So that sort of intense um, sense of coverage um, and sometimes conflicting messaging that's being shared across different platforms can um, really increase that feeling of anxiety or or depression and also contribute um, to that increase of eating disorder thinking and behaviours as well. Um, So we know, for example, that social media can be a really positive place for people to be able to get support, connect with other people, uh, reach out to, to groups um, and support systems that perhaps they wouldn't be able to face-to-face. Um, so it can be a really positive experience if it's used in the right way. Um, and it's important that, that people can really assess their own feed, um, assess what they're consuming and uh, really try to attempt uh, to, to make that a more um, holistic place for, for themselves.
1: R okay Day reminds and encourages Australians to reach out to support to others. So, what can we do to support ourselves and those around us during this time, especially for young people who don't tend to seek help?
5: I think the first port of call is to have a chat with your GP about the different options that are available to you. Um, It might be that if you're experiencing milder symptoms a web-based program and or an app might be more appropriate but if your symptoms are quite severe and you're really finding things very tough and not quite sure what to do um, a more personalized approach um, potentially by talking to a psychologist or a mental health professional um, might be um, the best avenue for for you if you're experiencing those more severe symptoms.
0: Look, giving us a call um, at the Butterfly National Helpline is one place um, potentially to start. We're open seven days a week um, from 8am till midnight. Um, some people might feel, particularly young people, uh, we, we find do tend to prefer jumping onto web chat as well. So you can come on anonymously and have a web chat with uh, a counsellor on the line, an experienced counsellor on the line um, about some of those problems. Um, and you're also welcome to email us as well. Um, so it's a great first step, not only if you're worried about yourself but also if you're worried about somebody else.
1: Ash King, a provisional psychologist and content manager at the Indigo Project, says that it's important to reach out by having conversations, listening empathetically and sharing our own experiences in order to normalise mental health challenges.
6: So just acknowledging that mental health is really important, that it's a priority and that you don't need to be, you know, a certain level of suffering in order to seek help. I think that talking about it with friends and family, um, just trying to to normalize the experience of, you know, maybe not doing so well and, and when you're open about that, other people often are more inclined to be open and share their own stories jumping in maybe uh, to see your GP and grab yourself a mental health care plan. And there's also a lot of amazing and free resources online, things like Headspace are there to cater uh, to the youth um mental health support so you can jump online and do some free programs there so there's lots available you just got got to take the initiative and do a bit of digging which you know I do understand is hard when you're struggling uh mentally
1: these alarming statistics and experiences aren't the only facts we've learned about young people during the pandemic we also continue to witness an immense amount of resilience throughout this unpredictable time
5: there have been some silver linings that we've discovered in, um, in our data, um, and it just highlights the resilience of, of some young people. So they've, they've reported that despite, um, despite restrictions and despite the challenges that they've faced, um, they have identified positive outcomes of the pandemic. Um, so, for example, Um, reports of feeling more connected to their family and friends because they're putting more effort and time into those relationships because the pandemic highlighted the value um, of those connections. Um, Young people have also said that that the restrictions and, and the isolation has given them time to reflect on what's important to them in life um, and to, to make a plan going forward, to make sure that they're living a really, um, a really valued and meaningful life. So um, despite there being numerous challenges faced by young people, um, it's really encouraging to know that young people are also able to um, extract and identify some silver linings in this really challenging
3: time. That was Backchat reporter Chantelle al examining the state of youth mental health in Australia. If you've been affected by anything in this report, you can always reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14.
2: But don't go anywhere. Up next, we're talking to Willemine Noongar, writer and poet Claire Coleman, about the pride versus profit debate over the Aboriginal flag. But first, we've got a song. This is Western Sydney-based rapper Inferno with his new song, Goodbye, raising awareness on mental health. Here's a language warning.
4: It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree.
1: Backchat, your alternative to talkback.
2: A movement to change the Aboriginal flag's copyright permissions has kicked off in recent weeks. Nearly 150,000 people have signed a petition to free the flag while a federal inquiry into its licensing arrangements and use was launched last week.
3: Williman Noongar writer and poet Claire Coleman recently wrote a piece in Mianjin explaining the copyright surrounding the Aboriginal flag. She's here to help us break down the misconceptions in this divisive debate. Hey Claire, thanks for joining us. No problem. So it's a growing conversation. We've seen the Free the Flag movement and a federal inquiry. Can you give us a rundown on how we got here?
4: Uh, yeah. In 1971, uh Howard Howard Thomas designed a protest flag for land rights protests in 1971 in Adelaide, and then in 1972, that flag was taken to the um, Aboriginal Tent Embassy and used as the um, as the protest flag there. And then several it was taken on by a whole bunch of people as kind of a a flag to identify the Aboriginal land rights movement. And then in 1995, the federal government declared the aboriginal flag a flag of australia which means it could be officially used to represent australia in official events and then in 1996 harold thomas fearing uh, exploitation obviously his flag by government asserted his copyright in court he, he already had copyright because under australian law the instant something is created the creator has copyright but in 1996 he um asserted that copyright to stop the government misusing it and then um last year Um, the people who he has licensed to produce flags on T-shirts sent cease and desist letters to um, some Aboriginal-owned companies who are using the flag design without permission.
2: So at the moment, according to the law, what can and can't the public do with the Aboriginal flag?
4: Um, The the issue is is really that, about um, what Harold Thomas has said is allowed. Um, And what is allowed is anything that is not making money from the flag essentially. Mm. So you can wave the flag, and wear a flag t-shirt, you can in theory tattoo it on yourself, and I've got an Aboriginal flag tattoo myself, um, you can paint it on your wall, you can um, you can run with it around a park, you can do whatever you like with it as long as you're not making profit yourself.
3: So to clarify that point, it is perfectly legal to fly the flag still, right?
4: It is, absolutely. And um, the only issue, like I said, is if you sell flags or flag merchandise. That's the only time that, that anyone would try and stop you.
2: So why are we still seeing this debate take place?
4: I think it's, what it comes down to in my opinion is a couple of things. One is um, a series of misconceptions about the copyright status of the flag. Um, the way the media has presented the, the debate is suggesting that the flag, the flag copyright is owned by a, a white owned company when it is not, designed owned by an Aboriginal, an Aboriginal man who, leases, who gives a, a, a white company permission to produce t shirts and flags. Um, and I think the, combining the fact the media has been pumping misconceptions into the media cycle is the fact that there's a couple of really clever hashtags around that, um, that, if you don't understand the issues, make people think that the flag has to be freed from someone who's stolen it, which is not true at all.
3: And can we take it back to Harold Thomas, the flag's creator, and the moment mm-hmm. which saw him create this symbol of unification?
4: Yeah, it, well, it was 1971. He was um, producing a protest flag for the quite new land rights movement. Uh, he designed several designs and asked his friend, who he, he was an, an artist in Adelaide, um, Harold Thomas was, although he's, um, he lives now in the Northern Territory. He asked his friend Gary Foley to help him choose the design. They chose the design and flew it in Adelaide in what's now known as Victoria Square. And then, but 1972, when the Aboriginal Tent embassy was new, the flag was taken there to be an identifier for the land rights movement.
2: Okay, and so Harold Thomas has granted rights to three copyright licences, including non-Indigenous business Wham Clothing, and there's been some contention with that clothing label. Can you explain what happened there?
4: A couple of years ago, um, there was a court case alleging that Wham Clothing had passed off um, products hand-painted in Indonesia um, for, um, as Aboriginal art. And it was a apparently there were um Aboriginal designs hand painted in Indonesia but the way the, the way it was worded suggested that it was actually um painted was well, said hand painted on the things which suggested they were hand painted by Aboriginal people. And of course it was um kind of um fraud and it was a breach of copyright and it, it was illegal. Now technically no one can get um can get fined at the moment for producing aboriginal producing art or producing products and that are not actually they, that look Aboriginal but aren't, unless they say they're by an Aboriginal person and made in Australia when they're not. So he got fined a large quantity of money, the owner of Wham Clothing, and rather than pay his fines, he um, dismantled his business and then started a new one called Wham Clothing. Now, the concern is, of course, that people um, assume that uh, because he was guilty of... of um, breaches of copyright and trademark law and all those things and considered to be producing fake art. And he was producing fake art with his old brand, berubi Art, that is without question. People are assuming that because of that, that um, the relationship with Harold Thomas is exploitative. But what people don't seem to have noticed is that berubi Arts, the company he had before that, was, that went out of business, was who Harold Thomas was licensed with until they went out of business. So Hal Thomas has been licensed with um, Wooster and his and his companies since about the late 90s. So it's not like this is a new example of a company exploiting an Aboriginal person.
3: You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 with Sweather and Millie. We're talking to Willerman Noongar, writer and poet Claire Coleman, about the Aboriginal flag and why there's contention around how it's used. So, Claire, there are many opinions on this debate, as you've touched on, including within the Aboriginal community itself. The uh-huh. petition states that it comes down to pride versus profit. Do you think there's any merit to this take?
4: Uh, I, I think there might be some merit to it, but maybe not as much merit as the language implies. Uh, the, the whole movement was started by a Victorian company who were selling aboriginal flag t-shirts without having a license now they were they were a um an aboriginal social enterprise and they were they could argue that it's not for profit but technically it was for profit they, they were just feeding their profit into an aboriginal into aboriginal healthcare, and it was um enhanced and enforced and made huge by the um afl who were their main complaint was that they couldn't put the flag on Indigenous round jerseys and then sell them without paying a licence fee. So again, that's about profit. Very few people who are aware, fully aware of the situation that I've spoken to um, think it's, it's ever been just about pride. It's always been at least a little bit about profit.
2: So a Senate inquiry has been launched into the Aboriginal flag focusing on its copyright and how it's used. Do, do you think we need an inquiry into this?
4: Um, I think I personally think an inquiry is a waste of money. Uh, it, it, these inquiries are often a waste of money. I think, the, the, to, my, in my, to my mind, the government is aware of the copyright and legal status of the flag so they need to run an inquiry into it. Uh, the Indigenous um, Affairs Minister, or the Indigenous Minister of Society, Ken Wyatt, has been in negotiation on and off with Harold Thomas for a couple of years over the flag copyright. I, I just don't know if the inquiry is going to achieve anything or even if it could achieve anything i'm i'm not sure we No, i'm not sure we need it at all
3: and obviously we get to see how this inquiry will pan out but people are already speculating about what might happen so what do you personally think about the suggestion the government should acquire the rights to the
4: aboriginal flag that that concept um this simultaneously discussed and terrifies me the aboriginal flag was a symbol of protest against the government and um, Howard Thomas asserted his copyright to ensure the government wouldn't get control over the flag, <clears throat> and the, to ensure the flag wouldn't be misused. So um, that's that's one reason it's horrible. The other reason it's horrible is it would be another example of uh, theft of Aboriginal property by the government um, when they again saying their common concept that it's for the good of everybody, when in reality the um, the flag is owned by the, the design of the flag is owned by Harold Thomas and um, his he, what he decides to do with that design needs to be respected I would like there to be some sort of agreement made with Harold Thomas but I don't think um, government acquiring the flag is even close to being an answer to the problem and it also in my opinion sets a slightly risky precedent in the idea of, of copyright rights because if the government can compulsorily acquire copyright, then any artist's um, copyright's at risk, and that to me is highly concerning.
2: Well, the inquiry into the Aboriginal flag is set to hand down its findings by the end of next month, so
3: we'll see what happens there. Thanks for your time today, Claire. No problem. That was and Nunga, writer and poet Claire Coleman speaking about the latest controversy surrounding the Aboriginal flag and its ownership. Well, that's all the time we've got for the show today. Another big
2: thanks to our guests, Dr. Sophie Lee from the Black Dog Institute, Amelia Trinick from the Butterfly Foundation, Ash King from the Indigo Project and Claire Coleman and our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Charles Rushforth, Sana Sheikh, Chantel Elkoury, Vanessa Lim and Rebecca Mani Bog. We're well, going <laughs> to catch you next week, but... Before we do, we're gonna play a song. Thank you. I just I got to breathe a little bit <laughs> after saying all those names. Um, we're gonna play a bit of a throwback that I've been playing a lot recently. I don't know if anyone remembers this. Text in if you do. Oh four oh nine nine four five nine four five. This is Lupe Fiasco's Daydreaming. Enjoy your weekend, everyone.